the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. In chapter 8, as we said last week, Paul just got through going through what the Christian security is in this God, what this God has offered by way of security in Christ. He says, you don't ever have to worry about being condemned in Christ. You don't ever have to, be, to worry about being separated from his love in Christ. In Christ, you are safe. In Christ, you are cleansed. In Christ, you are redeemed. Do you always feel that way? Do you always act that way? Do you always feel like nothing can separate you from the love of God? No. But how do you embrace that? By faith. Paul is going to use the nation of Israel to illustrate God's sovereignty and his election. And at the same time, Paul is pointing to God's stubborn love for Israel. His faithfulness to do all that he has promised to do for them. Now, it's important for the Roman church to understand that they know their God through faith. That they know this God who one time exclusively held Israel together and was Israel's God and now has extended himself to all who would believe. It's important that they know this God. Paul is going to use illustrations of God's sovereignty and his election. Let's look at Romans chapter 9, verse 6. We left off at verse 5. And like I told you last week, what I want you to see in these verses is God's determination to save and keep his own. Rather than being distracted by Israel's failure to receive the love and blessing of God, look at the heart of the Father, the faithfulness of the Father, the love, the determination to save, to guard, to guide, to protect. You see... As we're studying this, we're looking at the character of God. This same determination is bent towards you as his child. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. However, Paul says, it is not as though God's word has failed, coming to nothing. For it is not everybody who is a descendant of Jacob, Israel, who belongs to the true Israel. Now, what Paul is doing is he's distinguishing between the believing and the unbelieving, and he is saying, just as Abraham was the father of faith, he is the father of the believing Jew and the unbelieving Jew. 
the believing Jew, that is, those of his descendants who believe. Jacob also believed and is the father of both the believing and the unbelieving Israel. Only the believing Israel is regarded as the true Israel. That is the remnant that God mentions over and over again. The heritage of Israel is through faith first and lineage last. Okay? Throughout her history, we see her struggle to establish herself in lineage and ritual, seemingly all the while distancing herself from a personal relationship with a personal God. Throughout the Old Testament, we see Israel struggle with faith, but God is always faithful. Now, here we see the covenant. When we go back and read through Israel's history, we see the covenant of God to keep and protect because It doesn't matter how many times Israel is unfaithful, God is consistently faithful. It doesn't matter how many times Israel rejects God, God receives Israel. It doesn't matter how many times they seek to protect themselves, provide for themselves, secure themselves, trying to make themselves their own security, God still insists on being their security, their protection, and their provision. We see Paul say it another way in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. He says, For he is not a real Jew who is only one outwardly and publicly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and true circumcision is of the heart, a spiritual and not a literal matter. His praise is not from men, but from God. You see, God has never failed in who he is to Israel. God has been faithful to preserve and keep her. God has shown her grace and mercy at every turn. And like all of us, she has rejected him repeatedly, gone after strange God. But God still calls her his own. Now, does that sound familiar? What is the picture you're seeing there? God still calls you his own. We fail and fall and fail and fall. But when we are his children, what is the call to our lives? Fall forward. Get up. Forgetting what's behind. Going forward in the truth. The truth of the child of God is that that love is never separated from us. That God's purpose is not to make an obedient servant, but literally a loving child who can both receive and give his love. That's God's purpose. He saved us in order that we might be born again into his family so that he could literally put all of his love, focus, and attention on caring for his children. Wow. Wow. What kind of God is that? Now, here's the thing. that The modern way of thinking, man's way of thinking, is that we we keep God at a distance through our religious practices. We'll only receive him through the through the works of the soul. Let me get emotionally worked up about God, or let me think of learn about God with my mind, or let me will to do things for God, but don't let me enter into a personal, intimate relationship with him by faith. I don't want that. Oh, I'll serve him. I'll serve him. I'll volunteer. Oh, I'll, I'll sing and I'll wave and I'll pray. I'll lift my hands and the music's so good. I'll get emotional. I'll study. 
I'll study. But don't, don't call me to know him by faith. Don't call me. Now, listen, when we talk about knowing God by faith, I'm going to get back to this in just a second, but when we talk about knowing him by faith, literally faith is, is relegated to, I hope I get to feeling better. God, I believe in you for health. I hope I have enough strength for this meeting I'm going to. God, I'm believing you for wisdom and strength. Oh, I hope that my, my sister is able to handle her kids. God, I'm believing you for her wisdom and, and for, for obedience in the hearts of those children. Now, that's all the things that we think of when we think of faith. Let me tell you, faith is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger in the way that we live. Faith is getting up in the morning and saying, Father, you are my life. I can't make a single step apart from you. I can't face anything in this day without your presence and life in me. Father, I am going to, I'm going to look forward to our communion together. I'm going to look forward to the expression of your love. And Father, this is what I do. I embrace all that comes my way as coming through your hands, Lord, because I want to see the revelation of Christ in every moment. That takes a lot of faith. That's the faith we're called to live in. Not this vignette of, of, you know, heal me or provide for me or protect me or give me wisdom. But the life of faith is recognizing whose life we have. Well, in the case of the children of Israel, they would embrace the God of their fathers. They would embrace the ritual of worship. They would embrace the understanding and the study of all that the scripture says that God is. But give us a king. We do not want to come into his presence. Separate us. Romans chapter 9 verse 7 says, And they are not all the children of Abraham because they are by blood his descendants. No, the promise was your descendants will be called and counted through the line of Isaac through Abraham, though Abraham had an older son. Again, Paul is pointing out the election of God. That it is not by blood, it is by faith that they received. And here's the thing. It was through the line of faith. It was through those who believed. But let me ask you a question. Were those who believed, were they perfect? No, they weren't. I mean, we're talking about Abraham here, the father of faith. And we know about Abraham, don't we? Abraham's the one that lied about his wife, called her, her sister in order to, his sister in order to protect himself. He entered into self-protection, not just once, not just once. Abraham's the one that literally took a servant girl unto himself in order to bring about the work of God. That was Abraham. Yet he is the father of all who believe. You see, it was not so much about the perfection of his faith, but it was about the determination of his heart in faith. Does that give you some relief? How many of you are real consistent in believing? How many of you find yourself faltering and failing absolutely underneath it all? And then you get, then you kick yourself and say, Lord, I just don't know anything about faith. Do you see the way I live? But you know what God's interested in? God does, is not that interested in the fact that you failed. And it, by the way, it was no surprise to him. Okay? What he's interested in is the fact that you looked up and recognized him and are getting up and going forward in faith. That's what he's interested in. Going forward in faith. You see, 
Abraham failed many times, and we can go on. All the patriarchs did, yet they were the line, and they were the line because they believed. Let's, uh, Romans 9, 7 is where Paul wants us to understand the promise would come specifically through the child of faith, Isaac, not the child of flesh, Ishmael. Though they were both sons of Abraham, only one would be the heir of the promise. Romans 9, 8. That is to say, it is not the children of the body of Abraham who were made God's children, but it is the offspring to whom the promises applied that shall be counted as Abraham's true descendants. You see, again, it's about the lineage of faith. The children of God are born of God by faith, born of the Spirit. You see what's going on here? That in each case, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these, these men were chosen of God to be the pathway through which the promise would go. We're not just talking about Abraham giving birth to his own child or having a child. We're not talking about Abraham have, just having a child. Do you see what God put forth through the frail body of an, of an old man and an old woman? He put forth the promised seed of the Son of God. Do you see that? He entrusted that. He did in the natural what was so unbelievably supernatural. He interrupted the natural to bring forth the supernatural and guided in place and hold it in place by his sovereign will. Now look, you would look at that and you say, okay, well that's true, that relates to Abraham, that relates to Jacob, that, uh, Isaac and Jacob, I understand that. That relates to you. Do you see yourself as an eternal being? Do you see the plan of God to be more than just about whether or not you take the job or don't take the job? Whether you have two children or six children? Whether or not you go somewhere or don't go somewhere? Do you see the plan of God being absolutely sovereign in your life? That He is directing and protecting His plan in you? Now, there's only two, two ways to, to walk in the sovereignty of God. One is in praise and in, in recognition of it. And the other was in, in total disregard and unbelief concerning it. Those are the only two ways. You don't disrupt God's plan by refusing to believe in God's plan. Do you really think so? Well, Adam didn't believe that he could live outside the garden, so he just refused to leave. So therefore, the whole of man existed in the Garden of Eden, and it never went any further. Is that how it worked? Absolutely not. I don't understand. I can't understand the fullness of the sovereignty of God. If I could understand that, my mind would be something more than human. But I do understand that it overarches all that we know, that we're living in the midst of it. It is the extension of God himself. It is his will. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were operating within the plan of God. Romans 9, 9. For this is what the promise said. About this time, next year, will I return and Sarah shall have a son. Now, the promises of God are to be embraced by faith. What God has promised, only God can bring about. So everything that God... You believe that God requires you as you have discovered in the word of God or God requires of you as you have discovered it in your relationship with him should be considered as a promise. The commandments of God should be considered as a promise. 
Oh, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I, if I agree with that. That doesn't make sense. Oh, well, let, let me ask you this question. Apart from Christ, what can you do? Nothing. So therefore, the commands of God should be considered the promise. Now, here's the thing about the promises of God. They can only be embraced through faith. They can only be realized through faith. You know that I can walk in obedience and not even recognize that God is working in my life. I can be totally oblivious to those things, but I can walk in obedience to the truth of God if I just yield to what God wants to do in my life. I don't have to be, be cognizant of the, you know, the supernatural workings. I just have to believe that God is my life and go forward in faith. That makes it a lot easier. People make it so ethereal. It's not that ethereal. Here's the truth of it. You are a spiritual being. You are to function in a spiritual world. You're currently residing in a temporal world, but the temporal is not the reflection of the truth. It is the spiritual in you that is the truth. The temporal can reflect the truth, but it's not necessarily the truth. Where we get off is that we believe that this stuff right here, what we see, what we hear, what we feel, is truth. Is that a little too ethereal for you? That's the reality of it. Where do I get distracted? By that thing in the mirror? Where do I lose the truth of my life in Christ? Through this body. What interrupts the natural flow of the Spirit of God? The distractions of the flesh. What we need to understand is God is precise in all things concerning his children. He leaves nothing to chance. Nothing. Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 10 and 11 says, And not only that, but this too. Rebekah conceived two sons under exactly the same circumstances by our forefather Isaac. And the children were yet unborn and had so far done nothing, either good or evil. Even so... In order to carry out God's purpose of election, choice, which depends not on works or what men can do, but on him who calls them. Now, here's the point that Paul's trying to make, okay? Under Isaac, as we look at Isaac, God selected Isaac, and you would say, you might say to me, okay, well, I understand why God selected Isaac, because Isaac was the son of Sarah and Abraham, or Sari and Abram. He was the son of the two. So therefore, he would be their firstborn. That's why God selected him. And Paul says, well, wait a minute. If that's so, what about Jacob and Esau? You see, Rebekah had two twins, conceived at the same time, birthed at the same time, by one husband. Just two parents, that's it. Okay? And yet, God did not choose the firstborn. He didn't choose the firstborn. He says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The older will serve the younger. Paul is pointing out that this was a matter of election. Now, would we question the fairness of God in this? But we stand in flesh and pretend that we have a basis for judgment of God who stands above created time and space as the author of all life and propose to make a judgment? Would we? 
Will we say that we should be able to comprehend his work and based on what we see with our eyes, God is being unfair towards Esau? Well, Paul is illustrating for us that God exercised his election in choosing Jacob. But we also know something about Jacob, don't we? We know something about Esau as well. All of these choices were made when? When did God make those choices? For the world was formed. He made them outside of time. Now, I want you to understand something. The promises of God are made outside of time. Every time. Because they're eternal. Why are they eternal? Because God made them. God doesn't make a promise just for the here and now. They have much far-reaching effects. Our God knows us in eternity. He knows who will believe and who will reject his love. Ephesians 1, 11 says, In him we also were made God's heritage, portion, and we obtained an inheritance, for we had been foreordained, chosen, and appointed beforehand in accordance with his purpose. He who works out everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his own will. So here's what we know. That God makes his choice in eternity, and he makes a choice that works out perfectly in accordance with his design and purpose, plan, and will. That's God's procedure. God's will, now get this, understand this, God's will concerning the purpose of every man is sovereign. How every man will hit this earth, how he will affect this earth, what he will affect in this earth is a part of the purpose of God. God will have his purpose in every man. Salvation is man's choice. To believe is man's choice. To yield to the plan of God is man's choice. Romans chapter 9 verses 12 and 13, it says... It was said to her that the elder son should serve the younger son. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, held in relative disregard in comparison with my feeling for Jacob. The station of each man was chosen by God for God's purposes. God knew these men from eternity. Now, the word that he uses there towards Jacob is agape love. It's the unconditional love of God. It has its origin in God. But He says that he disregarded Esau. Now, standing where we are in history, we can look back and we can say, oh, I understand that. You see, Esau was a godless man. He was literally the father of the nation of the Edom, the Edomites, which were one of the most wicked and godless nations ever to be formed on the face of the earth. So it makes sense to us standing here that God would reject Esau, right? But if we had been there at the time of God's election, we would be tempted to say, well, that just doesn't seem right. That's just not fair. Or this line, that's just not the God I know. You ever thought that? You ever made that judgment? Well, we could have said that about Esau, but standing where we are today, we see the plan of God and we see the perfection of that plan And we say, good going, God. That's a great choice, God. Way to go. Thumbs up. God holds Esau in disregard. Now, the Greek word there that scriptures use for hate 
is used in contrast to God's great love for Jacob. It was the only appropriate opposite to God's love, and that's why it's used there. God's favor and blessing upon Jacob was so great that by comparison, Esau would appear to be hated. And that's basically what that means. Okay, This could be understood that God had chosen Jacob to fulfill his elective purpose, but he disregarded, he passed over Esau. The same Esau that rejected God and traded away his birthright. Now, we end here, and this is the question. What did you hear in this? That God is unfair, capricious, or fickle? Have you ever made that judgment? Because when you make that judgment, you condemn yourself to despair, hopelessness, and unbelief. It's a work of the enemy. Because what has been demonstrated for you in the sovereignty and the election of God is God moving through time and eternity to make you his own. Because when we look at Jacob or when we look at Abraham, we look at Isaac and we look at Jacob, I want you to see that that is the pathway to which you became the very child of God, the new creation that you are today. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to his life in every situation. Rest in his life moment by moment and receive from his life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.